Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Mosaic, and those of you watching online, we welcome you. We did this video, I'm an Olympic junkie, you guys know that. I'll stay up to wee hours in the morning, even with TiVo. I just love watching the Olympics, and I love this story of a guy who refused to give up. You say, well, you know, well, what's the big deal? Well, you know, he could have stopped right where his hamstring was torn, and he could have quit the race, but I love the fact that he said, I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish. Finishing is what's critical. Finishing makes a statement about who you really are. Not whether you're perfect or you're first or you're last. Finishing's what this is all about. And a lot of people say, well, I can't finish first, I won't finish at all. No, this is about finishing. This is about having the character to say, I refuse to quit and give up as long as I have breath in me. And when I saw that, it just moved me. I thought, Derek, you are the man. You know, I mean, this guy had every opportunity, could have won gold, snaps a hamstring. And so the question I would ask all of us today, what happens when something snaps in our lives? What do you do? What's your temptation? What do you want to do when something happens? Do you want to stay down? Do you want sympathy? Do you want pity? Or do you want to finish? I'm going to tell you, pity's real to all of us, man. It's all of us. We all have this temptation is uh, to, to want pity, you know, because things, bad things happen to all of us. Difficulty is a part of our lives. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we, we, we say the right things, and sometimes saying the right things might work temporarily, but I think saying the right things is often just a Band-Aid to cover that which has hurt us or caused us pain was talking to Pastor Wilson, who is here from Africa. Some of you may recall, about four years ago, we started a church there. And um, he made it through my crisis, is still my friend, flew over here on his own dime to hang out with his spiritual daddy. You know, if we could mix, uh, <laughs> you know, I tell people, this is my son. They say, well, why is he so dark and you so white? I say, it's a miracle. Uh, <laughs> And so, uh, all 28 years old, so he's been staying with me, hanging out with me for a week, and uh, just uh, this morning we got up, and you know, when you get two preachers together, we preached at least three sermons before we ever showed up here today. <laughs> and we were talking this morning about, uh, you know, th this topic I'm preaching on, and we talked about behavior modification and how we can change and how we can do the right things, but... Life is not about behavior modification, it's about a heart transformation. So when someone tells me I'm going on a diet, that means you're modifying your behavior. When someone says I'm going to change my lifestyle, it's a whole different thing. You've changed your heart. You're not just changing how you eat, you're changing how you think about how you eat. And, and so that becomes, so if I could talk to American people, I'd say, you know, don't ever go on a diet ever in your life. Don't do it. But if you feel like you want to change the way you live and the way you feel, then go there. I'm not mad at you. If, you. if you can eat whatever you want, I don't care. I love you. And quite frankly, there'll be a whole lot more of you to love. Don't get mad at me yet. Wait till my third point. I got some good things to say between there and here. So we're doing this new series called Seven. 
And biblically, seven has a meaning. It means it, 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 when you read in the Bible, forgive seven times 70, and God, six things God hates, seven, you know, he despises, whatever. Seven is the number of completion and perfection. So when, we, when you read seven in the Bible, don't read it numerically. Read the meaning behind it, which is completion. On the seventh day, God rested. It was a sign of I'm finished. I've completed what I came to do. I created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, I'm resting. He said it's complete. And so if you would, turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. I'm going to read this out of the Message Bible and the New International Version. Welcome to all of you watching online. Again, we're so glad that you've tuned in. Uh, we pray that something that is said today will have an impact on your life, not just this week, but the rest of your life. Maybe one thought, one word, and if you're really brilliant, maybe an entire point. Okay. Out of the Message Bible, don't interfere with good people, or don't interfere with good people's lives. Don't try to get the best out of them. No matter how many times you trip them up, God-loyal people don't stay down long. Soon they're up on their feet while the wicked end up flat on their faces. God-loyal people don't stay down long. People who put faith in God, people who believe the Word of God, don't stay down long. You can check, you can do a God check on your life and ask yourself the question, how much time am I affording myself to wallow in self-pity? How much time am I giving myself to blame everyone? else for where I am today how much time am I giving to that because as long as you give time to that you will stay down you will never get up because you're looking down you're having a pity party and so God did not call us to stay down Jesus rose from the dead and in like fashion we need to learn to rise above our circumstances our difficulties and the things in life that want to anchor us to our past Every boat has an anchor, every boat has a sail. Lift your anchor, raise your sail. You're not going anywhere if you're anchored to what you did or haven't done and, and you're thinking about all the ways you've been hurt or all the, all the things that have hurt you. You're going to be anchored in that spot. And if you've ever been out, I've sailed the British Virgin Islands and when you're out and you anchor, the boat may turn, but you're not going anywhere. Depends on the shifting of the wind. It's when you pull up anchor, raise up the sail that you have an opportunity then to steer yourself to the point that you want to go. And so um, in the New, American, New International Version, it says, for though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. But the wicked are brought down by calamity. So let's focus for a moment on what empowers us. Though a righteous man well, I'm not righteous in and of myself. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. So if there's any hope of rising again, I find my strength in his righteousness in me and through me, not through my perfection, but through his. And one of the reasons we oftentimes quit is because we don't achieve perfection. At least a third of you in here are perfectionists. And you are the... <laughs> Thanks, Samantha. I appreciate your honesty. I was actually thinking of you when you did. I thought, yeah, I'm with you. I'm right there, okay? And, and so what happens to people like us, if I can't do it the very best, I'm going to quit. If I can't finish first, I'm going to lay on the track until somebody comes and picks me up off the track. 
And so what I find myself, I would not start things if I couldn't figure out a way to do it perfectly. That's how bad I was. I won't even start if I can't be the best. And, and, and that's been my attitude through most of my life. And, and so if I, that way I'm not judged because I, I, I didn't do my, I didn't finish first, so I'm not going to start at all. You know, that's the temptation. When I started thinking about starting this church over again, I measured what the church would look like compared to the church I had. And if I had gone that direction, I never would have started this church. But then I thought how much fun it will be to just stand up and be me. And I thought that's what I'm going to be, me. It's a lot more fun. And some of y'all going, well, you know. You see... All of us have fallen, all of us do fall, all of us will fall. You, you can't live life with sin in your DNA without failure or falling. We just can't do it. And, and that's probably not the greater challenge. The greater challenge is caring about what other people think when you fall. That's the greater challenge, is we're living our lives trying to create a perception in the hearts of others that will make us feel better about us. So that's how can we make certain decisions and some with this in mind. Well, I wonder what my neighbor will think. I wonder what my coworker will think. And we start asking ourselves what they will think. So we, we, we make decisions based on other people's perceptions of the decision that we're about to make. And, and when you make a stupid decision, then you feel stupid, and then you run from the people who are going to tell you that was stupid. Because there are those who are gifted, and they feel like their gift and calling on this side of heaven is to be the stupid meter in your life. To make sure that you feel the weight of the decision that you made. Though a righteous man fall seven times completely flat on your face and the real challenge here before I get to my points is this I'm going to try to take the Bible here the Bible says the letter of the law kills but the spirit gives life Pharisees operated by the letter of the law every measurement that they took was measured against the law every behavior of man was measured against the law of God they thought they were honoring God in doing that. Now, the challenge with this is, is that when you live by the letter of the law, first off, nobody can fulfill the law. Nobody can completely, perfectly follow everything that God says. It's impossible. And if you are here and you've done that in your life, I would love to meet you and get your autograph and a selfie with you right after this service. Because I have yet to meet anyone who can tell me I have lived by the letter of the law perfectly my whole life so let's just if there's anybody here speak up now forever hold your peace okay I'm moving on so the challenge is that the law was a moral guide that turned into a moral God now the challenge is that the Bible is a guide inspired by God God knew that we couldn't fulfill the guide so he sent Jesus but what happened is people remained Pharisees and made the law God. So this is why a lot of people outside of church, and this is the thing I want us to always understand. You guys know my heart for lost people. I love lost people. I love lost people if they stay lost. 
See, sometimes you run out of patience with lost people because they don't get saved as fast as you'd like them to. And guess what? They may never get saved. Oh, did I say that in church? So what we do is we, I have a year, you have a year to get saved if you're going to be my friend. You have six months to get saved. If you're type A, they have three days. Get saved in three days or go to hell. I don't have time for you. That's oftentimes how we deal with a world that is yet to come to Christ. And here's the challenge. When I got saved, I got radically saved because I was a radical hellion. I lived 110% for the devil. I was not an infrequent attender of hell anonymous. I was regular attender. And so when I got saved, I began to tell people about Jesus in radical fashion. I would get up and, at midnight and go downtown, downtown Tulsa, and I would pass out tracts to the homeless at midnight to 2 in the morning, just telling them about Jesus because I knew nobody else was reaching them because those people go into hiding during the day. And you know what I found out? There are a lot of people on the streets that are smarter than you and me that many people outside the church don't want to be outside the church or outside of God. It's just that the church has represented something they didn't feel they could achieve. There's no way I can live up to God. I can't come to church. I can't be a part of your world. I can't do those things. I can't dress like you, talk like you, walk like you, think like you, behave like you. This is the issue in the local church that this church in the name of Jesus will never deal with. We're not going to bow our knee and make the law a God. It's simply going to be a guide. It's the word of guide and the word of God. We're going to follow that. Here's what I, I would hear. And it shocked me. The church is the only organization on earth that kills its wounded. Any of you ever heard that before? Is it just me? And unfortunately, I haven't always had a good response to that. Let me tell you why. Because religion will always revert back to the law because we're comfortable with it. We're comfortable with do's and don'ts, even though we don't live up to do's and don'ts. We want do's and don'ts. And you know why? Because we figure if I can do seven out of ten do's and only do one don't, I'm righteous, baby. I'm so righteous. Why? Because I know my friends can only do five out of ten. If they can only do five out of ten, I'm doing seven out of ten, I'm all that in a bag of chips. Because... We've turned the word of God into God instead of using it as a guide to help us get to God. And so when someone falls, we might help them, but we have to first ask the depth of their wrong or sin in order to determine how long they need to suffer for the sin. Now, if they suffer long enough to our satisfaction, then we'll go help them up. Let me tell you what would happen if you help somebody up right after they stumble, right after they're bleeding, and you love them. They're going to then love you and wonder what the heck is going on in your life. So who gets to set the thermostat of your punishment? Hopefully it's not the Pharisees who the thermostat was set for the woman caught in the act of adultery was death. The church has got to embrace. Now, historically, let me tell you how the church allowed people to come to church. I don't know how many of you went to church as a kid, but let me tell you my church. Okay, the church I got born again in, and this is absolutely no exaggeration, 
you can ask anybody who went to this church with me. There weren't that many. Uh, and you'll understand why in a minute. Now, and first off, the church uses things in the world that they don't understand. Well, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Uh, and then we have, we have things like the foyer. You ever, you ever, that's the foyer or the foyer. If I'm lost, that's a lobby. This is not a sanctuary. This is an auditorium. That resonates with people who have never been to church. Okay, now I know some of you are going to email me with all your theological, religious answers. Don't bother. So anyway, um, so when you walked into the lobby of the church I got born, in, uh, born again in, it said this, women, no pants allowed in the sanctuary. Do you feel the love? If all you had is jeans and you're trying to get to know God and all of a sudden in, that, in the lobby there's a, a framed statement. No pants in the sanctuary. Like pants in the sanctuary made men think differently than when they were in the lobby. All of a sudden, when I walk into the sanctuary, you look really hot. I just never figured that one out. So historically, the church had these steps. First off, to get in the church, you had to believe exactly like the church believed. There's number one. We're going to make sure you believe the way we believe or else we're probably going to treat you in such a way you won't want to be here. Second thing that was required was that you behave the way you're required to behave. So first off, you have to believe what we believe. You have to behave the way we think you should behave. And if you do those two things well, we'll let you belong. That's a problem because that was not how Jesus operated or functioned. So how do we do this then? Well, we go back to this. First off, you can belong. I don't care if you come here for six years and you're an atheist. I love you. I, I just, just keep coming. Just keep coming. Maybe someday you won't be an atheist. I don't know. But you know what? There's no chance of you being a believer if you ain't hanging out with believers. You hang out with me long enough, you might just get happy. And say, I don't know about that God thing, but it seems to be working for you, so I think I'm in. Why? Because you get to belong. Nobody wants to be a part of somebody's life conditionally. Who wants to hang out with people who put conditions on you? Well, you got to dress like me. God help us if we have to dress like somebody we don't dress like. I mean, I can't get our executive pastor out of freaking Nike pants and a dry fit shirt. We have the only executive pastor on earth who doesn't own a pair of pants. So no pants in the sanctuary works fine for him. It just depends on how you interpret that. If I was a woman with pants on, I probably would have done something like, okay, I guess I can wear these then. You're really slow. Because I would have been honoring enough to take them off and say, you said no pants. You didn't say anything about panties. It's just a thought. So we... We create all these stumbling blocks that I call unrighteous, not righteous. So you can't rise again without the righteousness of God because the righteousness of God is the strength to man. And though when, so when you fall down and you have the righteousness of God, you have the power to rise again. You have the power to rise again. The question is, do you have the will? So let's, let's go to the very first point point. move right along here. 
completely fallen. Let's start with that. We are all going to fall. I know that, just give me a break here on this first point. We've all fallen. We all fall. We're all going to fall. Love to tell you it's not going to happen, but it's going to happen. Now, if you're a real faith person right now, you're probably rebuking me in your mind, thinking your confession is bad. No, I have a great confession. Though I fall seven times, I will rise again. In the world, you have tribulation. Take courage, I've overcome the world. Jesus did not ignore nor did he deny that mankind would fall. If we were not going to fall and fail, Jesus died for nothing. He did not need to die if there was a section or a sector of humanity that could live perfectly. Jesus' death was a cruel joke. But he knew we would all fall. Paul wrote to the church at Rome, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, not some, all have sinned. The challenge with sin is it's ugly, it's messy, it's dirty, and we want to disassociate from it until somebody gets cleaned up. When in essence, the church is the pool through which people are called to get cleaned up. They don't come in clean. We don't come in clean. Every week we come in dirty. I ain't talking about your physical shower-ness or lack of. Every week we all come in here with issues and things going on. I love the authenticity of this church. I stalk all of you on Facebook that I can. Your pastor looking at you. Why? Because I want to know what's going on in your life. I'm not to judge you. I'm praying for you. And there are times if you're having a down day and I'm having one, I'm right on there with you going, yeah, it sucks. Life just sucks right now. <laughs> you ain't going to get me typing back some scripture to you that going through a tough time. I'm just going to go with you there. Why? Because when you fall down, you don't need somebody telling you you're stupid for falling down. You feel it already. You're hurting. You don't need somebody to tell you how dumb that was. You need to have somebody get down there on the, on the pavement with you. Your first service, asked, how many margaritas is too many margaritas? I know one night at Oklahoma State University when I was going to school there, I had about six too many. I found myself, that parking block jumped up from like six inches to two feet. I went down hard. And you know what's funny is, is the guys with me didn't judge me. They just laughed at me. I'd rather have that than somebody going, thou shall not. You're telling a guy eating asphalt, thou shall not? I know not. Now, I, I needed help then because I didn't have an ounce of righteousness in me. But <laughs> I wasn't going to rise again without some kind of like forklift. And so... <laughs> you know get me up anyway here's the deal don't plan to fall but plan what your response to falling will be because you're going to fall now the level from which you fall may vary don't follow my example and fall from a skyscraper and be a greasy spot on the landscape of life because I'm going to tell you something it ain't nothing but grease but when you fall what will you do like this guy knew I'm telling you he didn't just get up off the track in that moment, he knew if anything, I'm going to finish the race. If I have to crawl across the finish line, I am not going to quit. 
You have to have that resolve every day. I will not quit. I'll never forget April 29th. I was moving my stuff out of my house. And, and I like guns. Okay, I just like guns. I just think everybody ought to, I don't think you ought to own a gun. I think you ought to own a cachet of guns. I know if I was in the Northwest or California right now, they'd be booing me, but I'm not. I'm in Oklahoma. If you're watching from California, you need guns because that's where all the stupidity is really happening. Anyway, so I never forget, my kids hid my guns from me. They thought, they thought that I would probably end my life. I, I'm just too stubborn. I don't know that God had a lot. I just, I'm just stubborn. It's like, you think you're going to, I will get up. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I will not quit. It's a resolve. I knew any time in my life I thought, you know what? God will never leave me, never forsake me. God is with me in my darkest, deepest, worst moment. God is with us. So what will you do when? One little boy said, was asked how he had become such an excellent skater. He replied, by getting up every time I fell down. How do you become the person that you want to be and God wants you to be? By getting up every time you fall down. There was a young lady when we started the first church I started here. She would come to church every Sunday, sit on the second pew. Yeah, we had pews. Pew-y. She would sit on the second pew. She had partied all night. You could almost smell alcohol from the stage. She sat there every Sunday. And every Sunday after church, I'd just hug her. I just love her. I never said one thing. She'd sleep through my service. I thought she was sleeping through my service, which wasn't real encouraging for a new pastor. Like, <laughs> Recently, she married. Uh, she, she called me. She was in town. She said, can we have coffee? I said, yeah. She's born again, spirit-filled, happily married, loves God in church. She said, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. Not thank you for changing me. Not thank you for telling me what to do, telling me how I could fix my problem. Thank you for loving me. You wonder why people are skittish after they fall or fail. Because oftentimes the church kills its wounded. Because we're ashamed. You're supposed to behave a certain way. How many times have you heard this? You make God look bad. Seriously? Am I capable of that? I don't think so. Well, you let God down. Last time I checked, I wasn't holding him up. <laughs> you can't let God down if you ain't holding God up. So we got all these excuses for not going to church or, or serving the Lord because people have these religious comments and statements uh, about our behavior. I can go back in the Bible. Samson was strong, obviously good-looking, had amazing hair, something that I won't have until heaven. And that's the first thing when I walk through the gates, I'm going to ask God for just like a head full, you know, just like huge amount of hair. I'd like to know what that feels like. So Samson's this great looking strong guy and he gets all hooked up with the wrong woman and, and you know, she plays him and they cut his hair and he loses his strength and, and then they're able to get him. But up until that point, he could just kill anybody in his path. He could rip steel doors off of hinges and, and all of a sudden he finds himself in this situation where he never planned to fall. I don't think he went and planned to fall. That was not his deal. He tried and tried, but she finally got him to tell her his secret as to why he was strong. He gave in. He fell. They poked his eyes out. You may remember, made a mockery of him. And then at this huge party, 3,000 Philistines are there. 
Samson could have just said, I quit, but he said, God, would you give me strength one more time? Because I'm fixing to wreck this Philistine party. (laughs) Party crasher. And he's standing between two columns. God gives him strength. He pushes him. 3,000 Philistines come crumbling to the ground. Elijah goes in a cave. I'm the only one left of all the prophets. David, she I love David. Everybody loves to preach about David back in the past, but not in the present. The Bible says David had a heart after God. It's funny to me that God doesn't say, you know, well, if you hadn't have watched Bathsheba taking a bath, it would been easier for me. If I'd have been David, I'd say, well, you know, she shouldn't have been on that rooftop like that. No pants in the sanctuary. <laughs> it's all her fault. Uh, don't it's daytime ain't got no time for a full moon up in here so now so David is looking bring her kill her husband and we know David as a man after God's own heart so what will you do David turns his heart to God repents turns to God he failed Moses failed God didn't tell him to kill an Egyptian when they were abusing the Israelites he failed fell down all the great people of the Bible almost every great person of the Bible you'd look and say we've applauded them we we think they're great have you read their story the whole story I I don't know about you but I I can't I don't recall a time that that Jesus has ever called me Satan but he did call Peter that so I'm going to heaven I promise you I just use that as my measuring stick it's my guide to glory (laughs) Get thee behind me, Satan, he says to Peter. He's never said, get thee behind me, uh, Satan, to Mark. He calls me Mark. He loves that name. He even named a book in the Bible after me. And so, though a righteous man fall completely seven times, perfectly flat on his face, he rises again. Why? Because this is not about behavior modification. This is not about you getting better. Matter of fact, you may never get much better. And I know that that discourages your spouse right now. But the reality is, this is about heart transformation, not behavior modification. And when your heart gets right, it's funny how things start lining up behind your heart. Falling is not fatal. The best way to prepare to fall is this. When you see others fall, help them up. That way, when you fall, you will have sown seed to being raised up. If nobody's helped you, maybe it's because you've never helped anybody. And the way you've judged is the measure you'll be judged. Isn't this fun? If you're a critic, expect criticism. If you're a judge, expect to be judged. If you're mean, expect meanness. Not from us, but there are some 930 people I'm asking to come. Anyway, so, I'm just kidding. The emblem of the state of Kentucky shows two men facing each other, shaking hands. The motto beneath reads, United we stand, divided we fall. That could well be the motto of a nation, a congregation, or a family. United we stand. You know, I have five children, and they all survived. You know, I'd be an incredible dad today. Because you kind of know, I don't know why God did this whole thing the way he did. You know, we should have been grandparents first. Should have done the whole thing, Benjamin Button. We should go backwards. Anyway, so um, I was thinking about my kids and all that 
you know, the, what I know now and how, you know, the reason we, you know, you spare the rod, you hate the child. You just got to understand that in our day, I know that that's politically incorrect, but the, the problem is, is that most of our behavior is adjusted not by understanding, but by consequences. What would happen if we spent the time to create better understanding? Possibly. I mean, I know kids are kids, and when they're born, they're just, they're just flooded with sin. That's why they cry at night. Um, and they want their way, and they want to eat when they want to eat. And they, you know, and, and when they mess their diaper, they don't ever attempt to change it themselves. Uh, you know, it's like, Mommy, I need to go to the bathroom. Would you help me there? And, you know, that kind of thing doesn't happen. And so they're just used to getting everything. So all of a sudden when they get old enough to have to walk by themselves, you know, and do all of those things, then we have to start creating understanding or they're not going to grow. It's heart transformation. So this is the reason that oftentimes the, uh, the penal system is not really so good because they're taught behavior modification for the most part, not heart transformation. Thank God for Jesse Buffard who's going into prisons and bringing a message of hope and heart transformation. <laughs> Completely responsible. We all choose to get up or stay down. So if you fall completely, though a righteous man fall seven times completely, don't partially rise. You see, for me, it would have been easy for me to partially rise again. I, I mean, I had the temptation to partially rise again, to never speak again, to never be a pastor again, to never tell the story, to never do this again. And it wasn't that I was bitter or anything. I just, I just thought, this is probably not going to be for me. And, and you know, so I, I, I could have partially risen again, which means I would be a, a contributing part of society in some fashion, that maybe I could contribute to society in a different way because after all my sin is worse than everybody else's that's the temptation and that's what we tell ourselves even if your sin isn't worse than anybody else's mine was close yours isn't but let's just say that yours you're measuring your future by your past or, or your destiny by your sin if we're not careful we will only partially rise again which shows the world that God is not completely God the greatest testimony of my life won't be what I did. It will be what I'm doing and what God does as a result of my choice to get up. And I refuse to be quiet. I refuse to stay down. I refuse to hold back. Because my message now is stronger than it's ever been. You know, somebody can paint you a picture of hell, but someone who's been there and videoed it, which one are you going to believe? I took my iPhone there. Someday, maybe, you'll see it. We all must choose. Will you partially rise again? Will you completely rise again? Will you excuse yourself because of what you've done? Or will you, accept, will you accept what Christ did on the cross? Forgiveness is not measured by emotion. I don't feel forgiven. I don't care what you feel. It's about what you know. The Bible says those who know their God shall do exploits. Quit trusting your feelings to try to explain a God that you've never seen. There are days I get up and don't feel, I, I don't feel this. I don't feel this. I don't feel this. And you say, well, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. I don't. 
look, there are just days you get up and go, this is what I'm going to do because this is what I believe. This is what I believe. Whether I feel it or not, this is what I believe. And you know what? If I believe it long enough, I'll probably start feeling it for a long time if I believe it. The problem is when we feel sin, for some reason we believe that quickly. But when we know that God has forgiven us, why can't we feel that? Because we keep thinking the wrong thoughts. And we tell ourselves lies. We don't find contentment in someone's apology. We find it in our forgiveness. We're looking for someone else to validate us so that we will feel the way we want to feel. You have to declare, I am forgiven. Those of you who have struggle feeling, just get up every day and say, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. God loves me. I am forgiven. And if I am forgiven, nothing is impossible with God. And I want, I want to bring this to you. There's an, a theology out there today, and a dear friend of mine that I've known for better part of nearly 30 years converted to this theology. I still love him to death. I believe in him as a person. I, our theologies could not be more separated. It's called inclusionist theology. Everybody's going to heaven. And they base that on, well, God loves everybody. That's true. God has forgiven everybody. That's true. But we have a role to play in accepting what God did. Please understand, the Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, then we'll be saved. I want everybody to go to heaven. But guess what? It's not God's choice. God's choice is that everybody would. God wants everybody to go to heaven. But not everybody wants to go to heaven. Can you imagine having an eternal neighbor that didn't want to be there? That would then convert into hell. Because all my neighbor ever does, this is supposed to be bliss, glory, and heaven with Jesus. And all my neighbor ever does is complain. I just think God's too extravagant. I mean, what kind of God would make streets of gold? He could have given that to somebody in hell. Isn't that what we say about Christians? Why do you have all that? God is the most extravagant of all. I mean, we're going to walk through heaven, and, it, and your mentality may have to change because it's going to be quite wonderful. It's like, oh, honey, don't, don't get your footprints on the translucent gold. Okay, so anyway, first off, your fall won't happen overnight. never does. It's a gradual thing, and one day you skip, you slip, and you fall. So what will you do? You've got to plan ahead of time what you're going to do. Don't let it keep you down. One person said, persevere like a seed. Even when people try to bury you, flourish. When you plant a, a bulb, a flower bulb, okay, now I don't have a green thumb. Some of y'all, you, you can make anything grow. But, but one time we went to Amsterdam and we were there, we got, you know, the tulip bulbs because that's what they're kind of known for. So we, we brought some home and we buried them because that's what you're supposed to do. And it would th you would think if you buried something, it was going to stay. I mean, I still don't understand how grass grows through concrete. Can somebody explain that? You can step on it, you can crush it, but every summer, grass starts coming up through your concrete. It's amazing to me that grass says, I will grow in places you don't want me to. Kind of like hair when you're 60. <laughs> Lastly, completely forgiven. We're all forgiven, completely forgiven. We can function without feeling but we cannot feel without functioning. Behavior modification allows us to function without feeling. A heart transformation will create a feeling that will help us to function. When you get closer to God and you start feeling the heart of God, you don't even have to think about loving someone. You don't have to think about picking someone up when they fall down. You just automatically do it. 
can I, can I, can I help you just, just, just for a second because we all fight this. I know we have to because I, I know I do. I, when I see people standing on street corners with signs, I used to have a temptation to begin to analyze why they were standing on that street corner. And when you start analyzing, if you analyze long enough, you'll begin to judge. You never know why somebody's on that street corner. Matter of fact, they might be there because of you. God might have put them there just to see what you'd do. And every time I pull up, I ask God one question. What do you want me to do? You want me to do something? It's not about them anymore. It's about me. What do you want me to do? And you guys have heard the stories, read the stories. Some of them have swimming pools. Who knows? They might invite you over. So maybe you ought to give some money or something. I don't know. I mean, you might get blessed. They say, hey, it's all good. Thanks for the five. We're having a barbecue at my house tonight. You might even be able to come a partner to their business. Who knows? You can work the other corner. You just look. (laughs) Don't judge. Don't, don't, Don't be mean. If you love people, your response to people will be be born out of love. If, if you're a grace person, your response will be grace. If you're a mercy person, your response will be mercy. If you really believe in people, you're going to believe in finding a way for them to find their destiny in the place that God's called them. Forgiveness is, uh, from God is never a problem. Fighting, measuring God's forgiveness against other people's opinion of God's forgiveness is our problem. We don't need acceptance to rise again. You, you don't need people to accept you. You just rise again. You just do it because that's what you're supposed to do. You don't do it for acceptance. We don't need others' approval to rise again. I, I don't need your permission or anybody else's. I have God's mandate. You have God's mandate. We don't need others' applause to rise again. Applause is a nice little thing to have, but at the end of the day, we rise again because we believe. We rise again because we've determined that that's the right thing to do because Jesus rose, we rise. We do need to acknowledge our trust in God and our reliance on God. That's so important for us. Stop waiting on other people to give you permission to do what God already appointed you to do. Quit waiting on other people to give you permission to do what God's already appointed you to do. At the end of your life, don't, don't look and say, well, I would have done this but my mom, or I would have done that but my dad, or my school teacher told me, and stop. You don't need their permission, their approval, their acceptance to do what you're called to do and appointed to do. You just need to grow up on the inside and say, bless God, I'll do it because it's the right thing to do. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Close with this verse, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. When I read that, I go, let me tell you something. I'll live for that right there. Because he has prepared for us something that so far exceeds our capacity and ability to understand that I don't want to miss that. And I will keep getting up because this week I will have to get up time and again. You'll have to get up time and again. You're going to fail. Tomorrow's Monday, the blessed Monday. Got to go back to work after a blissful weekend. And traffic is going to be horrific. The boss is going to be angry. It's going to be a rough day. Thanks for coming to church to be uplifted. No, you just have to realize it doesn't matter what everybody else does. It matters what you do. Now, when I say this, I know that if I, I mean, traffic is my issue in life. I just need to put it in park and start knocking on windows and saying, hey, let's chat a while. Looks like we're going to be friends. (laughs) Traffic's not moving. How the heck are you? Where do you live? Where are you going? How are you feeling right now? 
standing in the middle of I-40. We ought to just get a barbecue out. I think I'll start carrying a grill in my car, every traffic jam. Hey, let's cook it up. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us just as we are, giving us opportunity and power and resource to, to change and be transformed. Lord, we know that we, we desperately need you. We know that we stumble and we fall, and we do it in dramatic fashion oftentimes, and we do it before the world. And There are always people who want to judge our fallenness, our mistakes, our sin. Help us, Lord, to restrain and know that we all have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Help us, Lord. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Those of you here today that say, you know, Mark, this makes sense to me for the first time. I want to know God. I want to know Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to follow Christ. And if this is, if this, what you said is accurate today, I can do this because I know I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be, and that's the reason I've never started. But I'm interested. I've always been interested. I've always wanted to know God, but I just didn't know if God wanted to know me. God's known you before you were ever conceived. That's why you're here, because he loved you before you were ever implanted in the womb of your mother. And you say, pray for me. I want to follow him, and I want to call on his name. I'm going to let you just right where you're at. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I want you to just lift your hand if that's you today. Yes, thank you. Are there others? Thank you. Are there others? You say, that's me today. Just a couple of you. Anybody else? That's me. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's all pray this with those who lifted their hands. We just pray this with me? Say, Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your only son, Jesus, to die for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. Amen.